Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Appreciate the music this morning. And again, uh, good morning and welcome to New Village Church. I want to welcome all those who have logged on this morning, this day, and to worship with us and to uh, open up God's Word. I'd like to just take a minute out as we opening the service today and just pray, pray together, Lord, that for God to bless His Word, for us to have our hearts open to Him, to have our minds open for what the God has in store for us today through the Scriptures. Uh, let's just take a minute out and pray. Father, as you have led us through the study on this book of Philippians, Father, we, this book of joy, this comes about during a time, Lord, where this world around us is all, seems to be so stressed out, so worried and so chaotic. Help us to understand, no matter what the circumstances are around us, Lord, that we can still possess joy, the joy that comes from you, the joy that is only in you. Help us, Father, to apply your word to our lives today. And we ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. I'd like to start off by reading part of the scriptures that flows into today's passage. Uh, we began this series in Philippians a while ago. And if we can start by looking back at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. That's Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. I'd like to thank Steve Massaro, who did a wonderful job of explaining this text. And since it's been a few days, a couple of weeks now since we looked at it, uh, it would help us to review it a little bit to lead in today's message. So I'm going to read over and go a little bit over Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have, received, you have revived your concern for me indeed. You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances I have learned, the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We see here in these verses that Paul's secret of contentment. Secret of contentment. And let us ask ourselves, are we content? First off, what is contentment? Now the word content in verse 11 here means to be self-sufficient, to be satisfied, to have enough of. Paul is using this term to say that he's sufficient, he's satisfied, he has enough because of the indwelling of Jesus Christ. Throughout this letter and time and time again throughout the New Testament, we run across the term of being in Christ. In Christ, you have all that you need. We again must be remembered under the circumstances of which Paul is writing this letter. He's in a Roman jail. Turns out for about two years. He's under, confined under severe con uh, circumstances and conditions. He's awaiting trial, not knowing whether he's going to live or die, how long he's going to be there, and, and if he's going to be freed or not. 
And regardless of everything else, he's able to rejoice. Verse 10 states that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Throughout this whole letter, Paul expresses his expression of a joy and rejoicing. In these conditions, and in the concluding words of this chapter from here on in, he concludes with a few principles that compiled together basically define contentment. We give a good picture of what it means to be content. If you're taking notes at all at home, there are five points I'd like you just to write down, jot down a little bit, and take a look at them, look at them answer, answer them the best you can, and kind of like apply them to your own heart and life, and ask to, just to answer the question, am I content? We see that Paul's definition and how he goes about doing this. We have about five reasons. Number one, a contented person real, is sat, is, 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 realizes and lives having total confidence in the sovereignty of God. So I'll say number one, a contented person lives with total confidence in the sovereignty of God. Number two, a contented person is satisfied with what God has given him and what God has provided, whether he's rich or poor, hunger or full. A contented person is satisfied with what God has provided. That was number two. Number three, a contented person has learned to live above current circumstances. Learn to live above current circumstances. Number four, a contented person knows where and who his strength comes from. A contented person knows where and who his strength comes from. And fifth, and probably not, le uh, uh, not total, but the fifth point here is that a contented person is more concerned with the welfare of others than themselves. A contented person is more concerned with the welfare of others than themselves. We see this throughout Paul's letters. Now, as we're examining this, this scripture here, it tells us that we find that Paul has learned these things. Verse 11 states, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Verse 12 states, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. We must learn contentment. It doesn't come automatically to us. It's got to be learned. It comes over a process of time. And once learned here, Paul states, then he knows how to cope with circumstances that he finds himself in. Verse 12 states this, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. Paul learned and he knows contentment. Verse 13 goes on to say, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now the word strengthens means to put power in, to be made strong. God infuses the believer with his strength. Paul endured and 
we can endure anything through the strength that God puts in us. The power of the risen Christ, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power of the Almighty God is in every believer. It indwells every believer. Paul overcame the direst of physical and circumstances and difficulties because he had the inner strength that God gave him, for he was in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27 state this. Paul writes of his many hardships by stating, In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger, five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers amongst false brethren. I have been in labor, and hardships through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure these are many of the extreme difficulties that Paul overcame through his years of his ministry in Christ because I can do all things through him who strengthens me now when Paul states this in verse 12 that he knows how to get along with humble means, he also knows how to live in prosperity and of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I believe when he was hungry, he wasn't hungry for just a day or two. This is a period of time. When he was suffering, it took place more than just a day or two. These difficulties took place over a period of time. A person in most cases does not go instantaneously from a, a humble life to a life of prosperity. It usually occurs over a period of time. A person doesn't go from a life of going hungry and suffering need to having abundance overnight. It takes time. I realize that a single event can cause this change to occur, but the results of the event or events usually take place over a period of time. I'm going to suggest when Paul is saying here that there are periods of time, what I like to call like seasons in life. Maybe a few months, maybe a few years, may, maybe many years. In these situations and circumstances, in most cases, they don't immediately change overnight. When Paul is saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, I'm going to suggest that the all things not only apply to certain tasks, physical obstacles maybe, or, or temporary hardships, but the all things has to do with the seasons of life to which we go through also. You and I can get through these through him who strengthens us. Jesus can get us through these hard times. He will get you through the easy times too. He will get 
He will give you the strength in every season of our life. When you're young, when you're a teen, when you're middle-aged or old, in sickness or in health, when you're suffering a, a disability, or if you're able, you will get through these periods when you are in Christ. Now throughout life's journey, we have mountains to climb and valleys to go through. We fall hard sometimes on financial times like many are facing today. You lose your job. You get laid off. You have your hours cut back. Maybe you're faced with a major surgery that you can't afford. You come down with a sickness or, or cancer or you, or you lose a spouse or a child or a loved one. Many now are cut off from direct contact with loved ones and stuff due to what we're going through today with the with the viruses going around. And they're lonely and they're suffering. They're going through hard times alone. These hard times, because you're a Christian, just don't disappear. When you're a follower of Christ, does not exempt you from any of these events. But God does give us the strength, the God-infused strength to go through them and to become more than conquerors to become overcomers in Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, through life's journey, there are also going to be green pastures and still waters in times of plenty, times of prosperity and abundance. They may seem far away right now today with what's going on around us, but we do enjoy our marriages and, and births of children and births of grandchildren and we get great joy enjoyment out of the love of family and friends and, and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And when someone you know comes to know the Lord, it brings us great joy. There are times of celebration, of great graduations, of promotions, of weddings, of births. Whatever the season in life we're going through, let us not forget, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now I mention this because Paul mentions it in verse 12 by saying, I also know how to live in prosperity and having abundance. All things include good times as well as hard times. See, when we're in green pastures and things are good, we don't want to forget that we still need his strength. He is there to guide us, to lead us, to strengthen us. You know, when it comes to hard times, we're forced to our knees out of helplessness and pain. We cry out to God for help. This crying out to God should not just be restricted to the hard times. We should be on our knees during the good times too. We need our Lord to guide us, to lead us, to help us in our decisions that we have to make, to keep on His pathway. We need His strength. Lest we forget and think that we've accomplished any of the good things on our own. Now back when we first started the series of the Book of Joy, we outlined five reasons why Paul wrote this letter to the church of Philippi. The first reason on that list was to say thanks for a gift. To say thanks for a gift. The scriptures we're going to look at today speaks to this. And also to the fifth point that I mentioned earlier, that a content person is more concerned with the welfare of others than himself. So let's get into today's scripture reading 
by looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. That's Philippians 4, 14 through 19. Verse 14 states, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit from which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Nevertheless. Paul here is changing the thought from what we have just reviewed in the verses 10 through 13, where he has learned and knows how in any and every circumstances to live, to live a life in, of contentment, having the all-sufficiency of Christ. He wants now to make sure that the Philippians know how important this gift that they gave to him was. He expresses his concern for their well-being, that they had done well to share with him in his affliction. Verse 15. You yourselves know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of the giving and receiving, but you alone. Paul's reminding them from when he first preached the gospel of Philippi, which was probably close to 10 years earlier than that, in Acts chapter 16, when he was at the riverside on the Sabbath, when he preached, and Lydia's heart was opened, and her and her whole household became baptized. And after spending a short period of time there, which concluded, remember, the stay in prison, where the Philippian jailer and his family were saved and were baptized. Paul leaves Philippi and preaches in Thessalonica and Berea, that's Acts chapter 17, and then left the region of Macedonia, and he states that no church shared with him in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone, meaning the Philippian church. The words here, giving and receiving, are really like accounting terms. We would probably talk that as being credit or debit today. Paul uses them here maybe to indicate that he kept some sort of records or transactions of what went on, or at least he certainly remembered them. These terms tend to show that Paul was being a faithful steward of what God had given him. He realized the value of it. He realized where they came from. Verse 16 says, For even in Thessalonica you gave a gift more than once for my needs. While still in the region of Macedonia, the church of Philippi sent a gift more than once to Paul to support him while he was preaching and teaching in this area of, of Thessalonica. And he didn't want to be a burden to those where he was sharing the gospel to. The church at Philippi sent gifts to him. These gifts now 
and specifically the gift that Paul has received here from them. He goes on to talk in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Paul's not seeking for their support for himself. He was not looking for, the, for a gift from them while he was in prison at all. His contentment and all his resources were in Christ. He said that earlier. But he took joy in the spiritual benefit these gifts were to his beloved church in Philippi. He took joy in the spiritual benefit these gifts were to his beloved church in Philippi. Paul states, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. The Philippians, by supporting Paul, were storing up treasures in heaven. These monetary gifts to Paul would yield eternal results. Now when we think about gift giving, we usually think about a giver and a receiver. But notice here, there are three parties involved. You have Paul, you have the Philippians, and you have God. When godly giving is entered into, God is involved. The recipient of the gift is blessed. God is honored and glorified through the giving of the gift. And the giver is also blessed. Paul states that there is the profit which increases to your account in this giving. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 and 7 states this. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus states in Luke 6.38, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And Paul states in Acts 2035, he says, Remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. There is a blessing involved in godly giving. And we as Christians must remember that all that we have is given to us by God. We are stewards of His gifts. And being good stewards, he allows us to use his gifts for his purpose and his glory. And doing this, we're blessed. He blesses us. How great is that? It's all God and he blesses us. Verse 18. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul states, I have received everything in full. 
in full. Here's another accounting or a commercial term. You know, years ago, there'd be a rubber stamp on, and if you paid a bill and the seller uh, received the complete payment, they would stamp the bill paid in full. Now, Paul is indicating he's received this gift from the Philippian church, and it's in full. It's complete. He has an abundance, more than enough. He was amply supplied. And having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, now Epaphroditus was the one who brought the gift from Philippi to Paul. He ministered to Paul while he was there. And he's now at this point still with him as Paul is writing the letter, but he's going to be shortly sending him back due to an illness that he contracted that possibly almost killed him. That's Philippians 2.27. Now look at how Paul describes this gift. Starts off by saying it's a fragrant aroma. A fragrant aroma. This is Old Testament sacrificial terminology. The Lord would smell the fragrant aroma, the soothing aroma of a burnt offering or a burnt sacrifice. In Genesis 8, Verses 20 and 21, after the flood, it says this, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offering burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. In Exodus 29, verses 18, states this, there was instructions given to Moses in, in consecrating Aaron in the priestly order, which states, you shall offer up in smoke the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Numerous places in the Old Testament we see these terms. And again, Paul uses an acceptable sacrifice to describe this gift from the Philippians. Here's another Old Testament sacrificial term, well-pleasing to God. Psalm 51.19 says that you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then the young bulls will be offered on your altar. You will delight who is well-pleasing to God. Isaiah 56, 7 states, Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. Do you see the correlation between the gift that the Philippians gave to Paul and this Old Testament sacrificial burnt offering? They're both described as fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifices, well-pleasing to God. Paul is indicating here that this giving by the Philippian church was an act of worship. An act of worship. And this is no different for us today. When we take up usually our morning offerings in the service, we give thanks to the Lord for what he has given to us. We ask him to bless it for his works. And we will usually say something like this. Let us continue to worship the Lord in the giving of our tithes and our offerings. This is an act of worship.
Paul, knowing that this was a sacrificial gift on part of the Philippians, he reminds them of this. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling the Philippians that not only would they be blessed in heaven for their generosity, but God would take care of all their physical needs here below. Having honored God from their material wealth, they would be taken care of here on earth. Notice it doesn't say all wants. It says our needs. And notice that it doesn't say some of our needs. It says all of our needs. Our needs include far more than financial or material things. They include everything we need, all our needs. The greatest of which was taken care of on the cross by the blood of Jesus. You can't outgive God. He has shown that by the giving of his son. In addition, his storehouse is endless. His supply for your needs is according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that is endless. It's eternal. Christ, the source of all of God's riches. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. There's no question here. God will supply. It's emphatic. It's a positive statement. It's emphatic. God will do it. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. This statement is so wonderful, so inclusive. Paul in verse 20 just bursts out by saying, Now our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And this should be our heartfelt response to this fact too. God will take care of all of our needs. Here Paul just bursts out with this short doxology of praise to God in response to the reality that God's love, God's faithfulness to his children, God will take care of his children. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In conclusion, we have Paul's final greetings as he closes this letter out to the Philippians. Verse 21 says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now Paul opened his letter to the church at Philippi by addressing the saints, and now he concludes his letter in the same way. And as we discussed in chapter 1, when we were there, we talked about the word saint, meaning one that was set apart, a separated one, one who is sanctified. This means someone who has been set apart from sin for God's purpose. So he tells him to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And the brethren who are with me greet you. Now the brethren he's talking about there, we know that Timothy was with him because in the start of this letter we have in Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ. And we know that Epaphroditus was still there who carried the letter back to the church and there are probably other of the brethren. And then he talks about, and all the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. Now these believers in Rome, remember Philippians, the church of Philippi, 
or the people of Philippi, were, they were a Roman colony. Some residents there were transplanted there from Rome. They could have had close ties between the two. Some might have known people that were saved within Caesar's household. And then it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul, again, at this point, he started out the letter by saying, grace and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And now he ends it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I hope you've enjoyed this study of the letter of Philippians. There's much to be gleaned from it and to be applied to our lives. I hope in these messages that you have seen the joy that's there and that you can rejoice being in Christ. I hope we continue to grow closer, each one of us, in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for your attention. I'm going to turn it over to Carl at this time. And we'll come back for a closing prayer in a minute.